Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Paul Baldoff, Assistant Commissioner of Air Quality, Energy, and Sustainability here at DEP. Paul's here to talk to us during this year's Air Quality Awareness Week about the relationship between energy and air quality. This is the 11th anniversary of National Air Quality Awareness Week, and last year on our podcast we spent a bit of time talking about New Jersey's largest source of air pollution, transportation. So this year for Air Quality Awareness Week, we're going to focus on the next larger piece of the air quality puzzle, energy. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we're glad to have you here. Now, energy and air quality, how are those related? It doesn't immediately pop into my mind how they might be related. Well, usually if you're producing energy, you're affecting air quality. Anytime you burn a fossil fuel, when you're burning gasoline or you're using coal as your fuel or natural gas, you're impacting the air. So I, I thought energy was usually under the Board of Public Utilities, but it sounds like we have a role in, in energy as well here at DEP. Could you explain kind of how that works? Sure. We support the Board in many ways. It certainly is under the Board as far as regulation, but DEP acts as a resource to make sure that in many ways we can have clean energy as possibly as we can. Renewable energy, clean energy, placing renewable energy in things that make sense as far environmentally and just helping out expertise-wise where we can. So I guess the most obvious source of energy production here in New Jersey are power plants. And you can see them occasionally if you're driving along the right highway. What have we done to make our power plants cleaner than they have been in the past? We've done a lot of things over the years. And if you compare New Jersey to other states, we're probably one or not, if not the cleanest state in the country when it comes to emissions. We've focused very strongly over the last so many years, making sure we get to that point. We're a densely populated state. We want to make sure that the citizens are protected as much as possible. It's difficult to understand exactly how air pollution works, so we like to use Air Quality Awareness Week to make people understand that there's no borders with New Jersey with air. More than 50% of our air pollution comes from upwind, outside states outside of New Jersey. So we are very, very clean in New Jersey, but unfortunately, states upwind that aren't so clean, that pollution comes to us every day. So those upwind states are states to our west, Pennsylvania, Ohio? That's correct. Places like that? That's correct. And, and how it works is we're part of a regional grid called PJM, which is a collaboration of parts or all of 13 states. And that's where our electricity comes from. PJM decides when they move electricity around where it needs to be. So when the demand's there in New Jersey and we aren't producing enough here, it's coming from those other states. And if they're burning coal or, or natural gas, it isn't as clean as what we're producing here. There's more pollution going into the air. So you mentioned that our power plants tend to be much cleaner. What's kind of the mix here in New Jersey in terms of power generation? Historically, our mix has roughly been 50% of nuclear 
and probably over the years it's been raising steadily with natural gas. In the last so many years, natural gas has been very, it's been cheaper than it has been in years. So you're really almost half and half. There's a small portion of coal that's still used and a small portion of renewables there, but really it's almost a 50-50 split in some ways. Nuclear has stayed even over the years. You don't build the plants that quickly, obviously. And as you know, Oyster Creek is shutting down in 2019. And the new plants that are being built are clean natural gas. Now, the nuclear plants, they don't emit any greenhouse gases, do they? That's correct. They are carbon-free. And the new cleaner burning natural gas plants, they how, how are they burning it cleaner? What is it the technology or is it a different type of gas or how does that work? It's a combination of everything, but truly it's a technology. They've come a long way over the years. We do have a couple plants that have older technology, but as you see the marketplace go, those are being phased out. We're going to get to the point where everything you see in New Jersey is the cleanest technology out there. So what are some of the major pollutants that power plants put out? I've heard things about NOx and SOx. Which, you know, I've got SOx in my dresser drawer at home. What are, what are some of those pollutants that we have to worry about? Uh, the, the big concern what people hear about are ozone days. And the two main contributors to ozone that you see are VOCs, volatile organic compounds, and NOx. So, uh, those NOx, are, what does that stand for, NOx? They're nitrogen oxide. So it okay. could be nitrogen oxide or it could be nitrogen dioxide. And those are produced when the gas is burned? That's correct. Mm -hmm. And those are the things, and for people who don't really understand ozone, put it in perspective, uh, smog is ground-level ozone. Those are the things that you hear the most. So if you have 20 or 25 ozone days in New Jersey a year, that's where it's coming from. But once again, over half of those precursors are coming from outside of New Jersey. When we're talking about these out-of-state sources that you mentioned where they're still burning coal and things like that, is there anything we can do to encourage them to take some of the steps that we've taken here in New Jersey to make sure their power plants are burning cleaner? We have had success over the years, either going through EPA with petitions or going through litigation through the courts to have plants in Pennsylvania shut down or curtail their emissions. A very positive note in Pennsylvania, they've enacted rules just this year that will require their plants run their control systems. In many cases, some of their plants have had control systems installed for the last three years, but have not always run them during high ozone days. Why wouldn't they run them? It's an economic choice, very simply. In some cases, it's easier for them not to run them and purchase credit somewhere else or just not to run them. So with their new rules in place, and we we'll certainly will monitor this, we're very hopeful that you're going to see those controls run all the time when they need to be. Well, that's good news. Certainly is. That should help with the ozone days. Yes. Definitely, because air is one of those things you don't want to see. Uh, and when you do see it, then you know you've got a problem. True. Now, let's talk a little bit about renewable energy here in New Jersey. You mentioned that about half of our power comes from nuclear and about half comes from clean-burning natural gas and a tiny little bit from coal. But we also have a lot of renewable energy here in New Jersey. What is our major source of renewable energy? The major source that's generated in New Jersey is certainly solar. I mean, most people can, on their way home from work tonight, uh, look around, go through any subdivision, you're going to see solar on houses. And it's not just residential solar, solar on landfill, solar in many places. There is a legislative mandate for solar to meet in a certain percent by 2026, and we're well on our way to meet that. We may meet it as many as six, eight years earlier. So solar really has, New Jersey's been very active in supporting solar, and it has come a long way, and we're still trying to 
focus solar policy so it's placed in environmentally sound places so you protect open space you protect wooded areas you protect land that's environmentally sensitive and you focus it on areas that are already developed rooftops for instance and things like that but solar is a focus new jersey does not have a large quantity of wind however we would take or can take credit in our portfolio for wind that's generated in other areas of the pjm grid but solar has been a big focus. And we don't have much opportunity in the way of hydropower either. No, not here. Other parts of the country and the West Coast, a state like Washington, a very high percentage. But uh, New Jersey does not have the ability to do that. And I understand that even though geographically we're a relatively small state compared to the rest of the country, and we certainly don't get as much sunshine during the year as some of the states in the southwest or the south, we still rank pretty high in terms of installed solar, don't we? Yes, Yes, I forget the exact percentage but, or exact number in state, but we're in the, there's only a few states that have more installed. And the ones that do are ones you would expect, like a California, Arizona, but we're very high. Yeah, I think we're in the top five the last I saw. Yeah, I was don't want to be wrong, but I was guessing four, but I couldn't four? be correct. Well, I, you're probably right if you say <laughs> four, because I think it's California, Arizona, and North Carolina might be a little bit ahead of us, and that's just recent. So that's pretty good. About the wind, we hear some talk about offshore wind. Is that something that we're going to see in the near future, do you think? I mean, it's it's very possible. I mean, there is there is wind wind areas that have been leased in the ocean through the federal government. And there's areas off of Jersey and there's areas off of New York also. So those things are in the process, but it's a long-term process. I mean, it's going to be many years before you actually see construction in those areas, plus all the infrastructure to get that energy from the ocean into New Jersey. So it's out there. There is one in Block Island right now. It's the first one in the U.S. offshore. So I think you will see it in other areas, but we're still talking a number of years. And I imagine there also needs to be some kind of backup. If it happens not to be a windy day, you can't exactly do without electricity. And the same thing with solar. You're not generating any solar energy at night. So how do we handle the fact that those renewable sources aren't constantly generating energy? Well, it's one of the, it's one of the you need base load power, period. And one of the uh, statements with nuclear power is that they are the perfect base load answer. They're always operating, they're always working, so when the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine, the power is there. If we ever got to the point where you had perfect storage solutions for wind and solar, that's different, but we aren't there. You're always going to need a baseload power uh, in, case, in those types of situations. So by perfect storage, you mean batteries that could... Well, in, in, in simplest terms, yes, batteries, but something that you'd be able to, for all for during the night, you'd be able to store enough power you gain from solar during the day to be able to power whatever you're doing at night or when the wind isn't blowing for those 10 hours, whenever it may be. It's pretty complicated stuff. <laughs> and there's a, there's a lot of very smart people working on it. Well, that's good to know. Now, your office, Paul, Air Quality, Energy, and Sustainability, you're also involved not just in air quality awareness but also in energy resiliency. Tell us a little bit about that. A lot of that came about after Superstorm Sandy. As many people remember, one of the biggest issues after Sandy was petroleum delivery. Gas stations either didn't have product or didn't have power. And so one of the things that came about was something we called a petroleum toolkit, which basically allows, takes all the information as far as producers, distributors, down to gas stations, and gives decision makers the ability during the next event 
to be able to get product to where it needs to be and move product to where it has to be and just kind of gives an overall picture of where we need to be. This was done through multiple GIS layers and the idea was, and it's been successful and utilized that for SuperSwarm Standy to do the best we can to be able to get product there. Yeah, we sometimes forget, you know, we take for granted the things that we don't see, but we use every day like wastewater treatment. You know, if the power is out, they have generators, but they can't run their generators unless they have the fuel. Right. And that was one of the challenges during Sandy. Yes, and, and another piece we were involved with was was doing the exact same thing for the gas stations, be able to give them either a program so they could put generators in or quick connect plugs so you could bring generators in because you certainly had the scenario where they had full tanks of gasoline but could not access them because they didn't have power. Yeah, no power to run the pumps. Exactly. And I guess uh, in the aftermath of Sandy, some places were down from power for a couple of weeks or more. Yeah, I think my house was 10 days, so I remember it well. So Air Quality Awareness Week, what are we doing here at DEP and specifically what is your office doing to make people more aware of the tools that are available to them to check on air quality, particularly with the summer season coming up, which is also sometimes called the ozone season. What are we doing to help people be better informed? You know, the focus is trying to further educate, give people an idea of how air quality impacts them. So there's multiple things. I mean, there's a, if, if you go on our website, you're going to see a monthly schedule of things we have going on during the week and through the month. You're going to be able to see different explanations trying to bring what ozone is or what, what smog is or what mobile sources mean down to a, a level that everybody can understand. Take all the techie type stuff out. And just have try to have people understand that you can have an impact. You know, mm-hmm. you, something as simple as turning off the lights in 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 your room when you when you leave, or in the kitchen when you go upstairs, or obviously not letting your car idle. You don't let equipment run. Everything, you, every piece has something to do with it. I mean, running your lawnmower in the backyard, you have to do it, but you have to understand that does have an impact. Everything uh, has some sort of impact on the air. So it's just really trying to reinforce those things that people already knew at one point probably you're just trying to bring it up again and put it especially for a younger generation and just kind of embed the idea that hey i should be smart i I have if i'm going out and purchasing something it should be energy efficient Mm -hmm. it makes sense it saves me money but it also saves air too the energy that you're not using by turning off lights or appliances that's energy that doesn't have to be produced and that means that's less fossil fuel that has to be burned so that has, you know, it's not, you're not just saving money on the electric bill. You're also really helping to improve the quality of the air. Definitely. And all these little things really add up, don't they? They certainly do. They certainly do. Especially in a state of 9 million people. Yes. <laughs> so one little thing, if it's done by even half of that, 4.5 million people doing the right thing can make a real big difference. And it's important to remember that. Mm-hmm. I think. Looking back over the last year, um, when we last uh, talked about Air Quality Awareness Week here on the podcast, what sort of changes and, and improvements have we seen in our air quality or, or things that we're doing now that are new since last year? You know, I think that there there's a few things we focus on. One of the biggest things is we do a, a campaign for electric charging. We put out, allocated about $850,000 throughout the state so you can put in level two chargers. The electric, are, these are for electric vehicles? For electric vehicles. They could be placed at your workplace. They could be placed at, at your local supermarket. These aren't ones that would be in your house. 
There's very common, if you have an electric vehicle, you can charge at home. We want to make it easier so when you're at work, there's a place you can charge. The electric vehicle is kind of the chicken or the egg, because, well, I don't want an electric vehicle because I'm worried that I might not be able to make my destination without having a place to charge. Yeah, they call that range anxiety. Right, so people are afraid of that. So you want to be able to put it as close to where the people are at work, when they're out in the weekend doing some shopping, maybe at shopping centers. Other ideas are through busy areas like the Turnpike or Route 80, places like that. So we've been able to put a lot of grant money out there to help. We've had a lot of demand for it. We had more applications than we had money. We expect to be able to find more funding, so we expect it to grow. And these level two chargers, how are they different from a charger somebody would have in their home? The, the ones in, the ones at the home, it's going to take you all night to get a full charge. Your level two chargers are a little quicker, so you'd be able to get that while you're at your stop or at work. They're also something that we're working on that you're going to see at some point on the main highways called fast chargers, which almost as simply as filling up your tank with the gas. These work as quickly as 15 minutes. You can pull into a rest stop, uh, go in and have a sandwich and come back out and your car be ready for the next so many hundred miles. Our program is focused on the level two, but those are coming. We want to get to the point where, first of all, when you go into the dealer, you like the product, but once you buy that vehicle, you're satisfied that, yes, I'm going to have no problem charging. It's as simple as filling it up with gas in many ways. So it's kind of the same problem the automobile industry faced 100 years ago when, you know, there weren't exactly a lot of gas stations around. Oh, it's very similar. So it's good to know the state is helping to get some of those chargers out there. Right, very similar. That's good, and that will help people deal with their range anxiety. Yes. And any time we can lower anxiety, it's a good thing. Paul, is there anything else you want to add as we uh, come to the end of our podcast? Um, the only thing I'd like to mention is following up on last year's discussion about mobile sources, just trying to reinforce. I mean, I think there's a perception out there that what we spoke about today, the generating facilities, causes all the pollution. It's really not the case. They're the second biggest air pollution issue. It's mobile sources that's the biggest. And everybody who's listening right now has an impact on mobile sources. They have a choice of when they drive, how they drive, and what they drive. They can have a huge impact. And even in, in New Jersey has right, good or bad, that, that 95 corridor. And that 95 corridor, as far as air pollution goes, is much more significant than any of the plants that you'll see placed in New Jersey to generate electricity. So just... We always like to reinforce that, that mobile sources, our stop and soot program, and those things are, it should be a big focus also. It's not just generating electricity. Yeah, particularly because in terms of the pollutants from our generating plants, we're really among the lowest in the country. There are the vast majority of the states, their plants generate a lot more of those pollutants that we're concerned about than we do here in New Jersey. You're exactly right. So that's good to know with the mobile sources for people to think about when they're driving, what they're driving, and where they're driving, and uh, if there might be another way for them to get where they're going. You can always think about it that way. Public transportation, too. I mean, you can have an impact. It's as simple as that. Your decisions mean something. Well, that's great. So as we celebrate the 11th annual National Air Quality Awareness Week from May 1st to May 5th this year, I hope everybody will keep in mind the simple steps that each of us can take to help improve the air quality here in the state of New Jersey. Uh, None of us can go without air. It's obviously something we all need. And every time we can go outside and breathe healthy air, that is in no small measure due to the choices that each of us makes during the day as we go about our days. So I want to thank Paul again for being with us today. A lot of really interesting information and some great tips on how to improve our air quality and make good choices. 
We have on the description of this podcast links to all of the web pages we have here at DP where people can find out more information about how they can be an active participant in Air Quality Awareness Week and how they can contribute to improving the quality of our air here in the state of New Jersey. Paul, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.